0: I am David Rothguff, your host, and I'm here uh, with uh, Ryan Goodman, who does these Thursday afternoon shows with me. Hi, Ryan. Hi, David. And we are joined also by uh, the indefatigable Rosa Brooks, who is in Washington, D.C., somewhere.
1: I, I am fatigable, David, oh. and I'm, I'm fatigued,
0: in fact. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a little fatigued myself, and uh, speaking of indefatigable... <laughs> The most prolific uh, uh, journalist at the Washington Post, Greg Sargent, who is writing a new story every two to three hours, as far as I can tell. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for taking time out from that, Greg.
2: Thanks very much. It feels like that anyway. I don't know if it actually is that many, but it sure feels that
0: way. (laughs) Well, no, you are churning it out. And, you know, I feel like, you know, you've become the Twilight Zone correspondent of the Washington Post as we right. and you know head deeper and deeper into this zone. I, I, I feel you know the the whole thing has a kind of black mirrory feel to me, you know. Trump is tweeting out a hundred times a day. Republicans are saying facts don't matter. They're planning Senate trials that don't have facts and don't have witnesses. So I don't even know how that's a trial. And meanwhile, you know, new allegations and new crimes are revealed daily and then You know, as we're just going to air, you know, the the British elections looks like the the conservatives may win a big victory. And then you think Vladimir Putin is the political genius of the world. (laughs) You know, it's you know, he can't do so well at home. He's got protests in the street, but he's got Britain running like a clock just as he wanted it. And now he's got the U.S. running like a clock. And 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 he's got, you know, people you've been writing about this, Greg, let's start with that. The Attorney General of the United States seems to be working for the GRU. He seems to be saying, hey, let's not look in any of that 2016 stuff anymore, um, which, by the way, could have a, an implication in terms of 2020 with it just around the corner. What do you think?
2: Well, I'll tell you, uh, I, I absolutely agree. And, and I think we saw this very vividly in the case of his treatment of the IG report. Um, One thing that that I I think didn't get enough attention about the IG report is that it goes on at some length about the context in which the FBI launched their investigation into the Russian interference effort. And that context was that uh, the FBI had already established that Russian attacks on on the elections were underway. Uh, They had established a lot of evidence of these attacks, uh, separate and irrespective of whether Trump was involved. Um, and then it was in that context, according to the IG, that they got the tip from the foreign government that uh, that uh, the George Pap- Papadopoulos tip, uh, that he had, knew about uh, dirt that Russians had uh, gathered on Hillary. Um, and and so if that was the tipping point that led to the investigation. But the tipping point came on top of a full awareness that an attack on our democracy and political system was in full throttle underway. And and Barr just wants that to disappear. He he wants this to be treated as, oh, the the launch of the investigation was only about um, a a collusion fantasy on the part of uh, the FBI and, and not about an actual attack that was underway from Russia. So that is, I think, objectively beneficial to Russia, that posture.
0: Well, I think a lot of this is objectively beneficial to Russia, eh, Rosa? I mean... If you look at this, that posture is, uh, I mean, McConnell's posture has been, let's not fund any defense of the Russians, you know, stepping in in terms of 2020. Um, uh, The the Republican after Republican uh, this past week has stood up and said, well, you know, Ukraine could have done it. Uh, Ted Cruz has said this, uh, you know, some of the geniuses on the House Judiciary Committee uh, have said it between their tearful, you know, demonstrations of emotion um uh, i you know <clears throat> more people are working hard to advance the putin agenda than than us national interest it seems to me but you know you're you're, you're ever optimistic what do you think Rosa?
1: <laughs> well um i think as i mean yes so objectively speaking um all of this would appear to rebound to the benefit of of vladimir putin the the question that we have been asking for several years now, uh, I think, remains, which is are they doing it because they are being bribed, blackmailed, or otherwise influenced directly by Russia, or are they just doing it because they're assholes, right? Uh, and I, I still I don't think we know the answer to that question. Um, they're assholes and, and idiots, um, um you know, I still don't think we know the answer to that question. It you On don't, some level, it doesn't matter. Wait,
0: wait, you don't know the answer wait. to that question?
1: <laughs> well, what? no, I mean, it could also be both, of course, as as you all constantly remind <laughs> me, David, they could be assholes and idiots and uh, in the pocket of Vladimir Putin. Um, I'm not totally sure it matters on some level, right, because the 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 outcomes are the outcomes. I think it may be many, many years before we know the answer to which it is. Um, but but I, I think you know not only we we should not only you know wring our hands in in sorrow and frustration and indignation over what has happened so far, but I think we should be very, very worried about what happens in between now and specifically uh, inauguration day in 2021 because, well, and, and if, if Trump wins in the 2020 election, we should worry obviously about four years after that too. But but even barring that, you know even if Trump ends up being voted out of office, um, I actually think one of the times that we could, if he is in fact uh, actually being manipulated or influenced by, by Putin, that we can expect maximum mischief um, is actually going to be during that lame duck period. Uh, so, well, we talk more about that later. But, but I think there's still more, more fun with Russia to come.
0: More fun with Russia. Our next podcast. Uh, you could host it if you want to, uh, Rosa. Um, <laughs> so, Ryan. Do I
1: have to, do I? <laughs> Your your
0: your 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 former law school classmate poses the question: Are they assholes? Are they idiots? Or are they traitors?
3: <laughs> well, at least we have a title for the show now. Uh, <laughs> um. I guess just to circle back, I think there are lots of things going on, but uh, one of them is I think uh, Bill Barr is very knowingly doing what he's doing every step of the way. Um, Luckily, in a certain sense, he's not perfectly good at it because some of it's quite patent. Um, But just to add on to what Greg said, there was another question he was asked in the MSNBC interview, and that was, uh, the, back to the question of Ukraine, you know, do you have any evidence that Ukraine was behind election interference in 2016? And he said, oh, I haven't looked at that, and I don't know either way. I can't answer your question, which is um, in, you know, hard to believe that he hasn't, especially when he's, <laughs> the FBI director has said they have so no evidence. The had never crossed his mind. That's right. Um, so the, his own FBI director says no way, no evidence of any such thing and then he hasn't even looked at it or thought of it or it's never been briefed, it's never come up in a meeting. Uh, so the idea of saying that he doesn't know is just um, that feeds Russian disinformation. That is very helpful to uh, Putin's efforts on the 2016 election and what Fiona Hill warned the country about. Um, it's, it's like saying something outlandish, like, you know, do you think that Martians landed and took the DNC server and then transported it over to ukraine and then he says i just don't have any evidence either way on that i haven't really thought about that um, so it's because it's that level of disinformation and the, and the conspiracy can't even on his own terms doesn't make sense so i think that's a problem And i, guess, I think some of the other republican elected republicans are um, knowingly rallying around the president and mirroring what he says so if the president says ukraine then ted cruz says ukraine if the president says um, something else, they'll say something else. It's just to, I think, um, reinforce him in a way because they're so scared um, of him uh, in this particular uh, political environment.
0: What do you what What do you think, Greg? I think Ryan's analysis well, think, sounds pretty good. Yeah,
2: I, yeah I do too. Um, and to add to, to Ryan's point about this being disinformation, we, we, we know this is the case because it's been reported that the very same Republican senators who, who are echoing that line uh, got a briefing from intelligence officials who told them straight out that this this um, narrative about Ukraine uh, collusion with Democrats to, to um, set up Russia has been a mainstay of Russian propaganda and disinformation for years. And it's just simply extraordinary that after having gotten that briefing, they would continue to say this publicly. I I think we haven't really gotten our heads around what that really means yet and where it's going. And I think you've seen some pretty epic buffoonery results from this, right? Like, so John Kennedy of Louisiana kind of lurched back and forth and and did backflips of different types, but kind of came back around to the point that, yes, you know, it's possible. You know, yes, Russia... We do know that Russia interfered, but maybe so did Ukraine. And then when he was asked point blank if he had gotten the briefing from intelligence officials, he said no. So they're deliberately he's he's not. He's too busy. Right, right. He's too. He's too busy. They're they're trying to not get informed about what mm. the implications of what the what the geopolitical and and uh, democratic domestic implications are of what they're saying, so that they can continue saying it.
0: On top of all of this, Rosa, there seems to be a willingness to go back to your earlier point to be really, to make the frontline defense of Trump as hollery. Um, you know, the, I, I watched, you know, Collins and Gates and Jordan and the, the whole crowd of them, shouting and screaming and uh, uh, apparently uh, while we were doing this, Ryan just showed me a screenshot of um, uh, 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 the minority uh, 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 senior minority member Collins walking out of the hearings emotionally. He was in a, he was he was he was emotional. Um and so all of them are like having the vapors and 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 that's that seems to be where we're gonna go. This is the most serious defense that's gonna happen because we're gonna get into the Senate and then there isn't gonna be anything. Um and 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 literally the, 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 the Republican Party seems to think that what they can do is simply say, We're not playing. This is stupid. We're not playing. Well
1: they seem to think that because uh i I think they're right to think that um that they that that's what they can do and that that's what they can get away with because it's worked for them so far um I mean we've talked about this many times uh on this podcast, but i, I think that we we are at a moment in sort of the American political experiment when it's clear that uh the facts just don't seem to matter that much anymore that 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 the public is very, very divided. Virtually everyone has already made up their mind. Um, we're seeing nothing but confirmation bias uh, for most people most of the time. You know, which is to say that that the the Trump base um, either they're not paying any attention to this because they decided long ago that it was irrelevant and/or a witch hunt, um, and so there's no point in paying attention to it anyway because it's all fake. Um, or they're paying attention to it, but they think it's all fake and a witch hunt. Um, uh, or they're just so checked out that they're completely oblivious to everything that's going on. In which case, it doesn't matter. Um, and and we're kind of stuck. I mean, I mean, it's it's it's. I still find it shocking, you know. I mean, even though I've spent a substantial portion of my <laughs> my professional life uh, studying and thinking about things like, you know, how mass atrocities occur and how societies slide into genocide or totalitarianism. And and even though we we actually, you know, we know a lot about it. We know a lot about the the social psychology reasons behind uh, why societies, normal societies full of ordinary, decent people can so rapidly slide towards mass horror, um, we, we know a lot about the early warning indicators. Um, you know we've watched it happen in many places uh, and and given that I, I don't know why i'm I'm so shocked since I've always I've always said, oh of course it could happen here. you know anything can happen anywhere and and yet even so, I mean obviously thank God we're not at the the mass atrocity stage but but as we sort of shift slide towards uh, a more authoritarian government, slide towards um, uh, uh, a more hate-filled approach to to political discourse. Um, Even though I know exactly how it happens, and we've seen it a million times, I'm still shocked that it's happening here, and I'm still shocked at how how rapidly it's happening. And and this is part of the reason that it happens, that the, the political discourse becomes so poisonous that there's just no way to to break through and this is all a long-winded way of saying that the the Republicans in Congress I think their their calculation is absolutely correct they are they are correctly calculating that nobody who matters to their electoral prospects or their fundraising prospects is going to be influenced in any way by any of this so they get to just say random made up things or we're just not playing because it's not going to make any difference this is fantastically depressing
0: uh, I usually save that for the end, so we can send people <laughs> off to the heavy
1: drinking <laughs> to, that follows. Feeling cheerful. That follows
3: these dinner. these podcasts, Ryan. What do you what do you have there? Yeah, I just wanted to jump in on the um, with an um, an add on. So there's this piece in NBC this morning by Kurt Bardella, um, the title of which is "House Republicans' Trump Impeachment Strategy is Simple: Distract, Deceive, and Yell." And it's got a photograph of Jim Jordan, Doug Collins, and Matt Gaetz. And I think, and then the idea behind the piece is that the strategy here is to wear down participants in the process, uh, wear down witnesses, and turn off audiences so that they just turn away because this is a kind of a wild, crazy circus. But I think there's something else that they're doing too, which is, uh, purposefully or by effect, which is communicating white male rage. And I think they're validating this white male rage in a way that's very destructive. Um, and I just you know, wonder, like people who are teachers trying to educate um, children who see this on the screen and see it last night in prime time, um, it's kind of another way in which this road is going down with the demographic threat that some parts of the Republican Party think, feel that they're under, uh, to see this displayed um, in the House um, is just extraordinary and another part of the dangerous dimension I think that we're going down.
0: You know, that's, I think that's really interesting in the sense that, that what they're doing is they're acting out what they think their base wants to see, yeah. and what their base does. And it screams at the TV, and it's been angry for a long time. And they're doing it, and the base doesn't really think anything in Washington is honest. And so, if somebody's a little bit dishonest, that's not such a big deal. That you know, they think everything is rigged, uh, and they don't like the elites and the others who have been. In their minds, you know, dominating the media, screwing things up for a long, long time to come. And, um, and you know, that approach, that theory has held their 40 percent absolutely motionless. And I mean that in the good sense for the past three years. They haven't lost any ground. The president has committed crime after crime. And, and 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 there's like, you're still angry, we're still angry, we're still shouting and it another doesn't move. You look at the Democratic candidates in the polls and stuff they're up. they're down on issues of mm. policy and all this other stuff. but this doesn't
3: move. Um, yeah, go on. yeah and then yeah and I think it and they've there' been it's something that was introduced I, I noticed at least more this past week, these past 48 hours where they're saying, hey, it's not that they disagree with the president. They don't like us, and they don't like you. And Lindsey Graham had that a lot in um, the hearing with the inspector general that they think we're smelly or something like that, I think is one of the things he kept saying. Not just once, but... Yes, uh, that there's something about us. There's something they think is that we're less than them. Um, And then, you know, Trump at his rally repeated, they think they're the elite, you're the elite. So it's really about... It's not about policy. It's not about impeachable conduct. It's about um, tribes and um, the denigration of forgotten people. And I think that's just... So in terms of, you know, just in some ways, it also, I didn't think of it in these ways, but it ties into what you just described, Rosa, in terms of othering and putting people into different camps. And it's not about the policy differences. It's actually to try to tell them that they're under threat and that it's that they don't like you for who you are, and then that will rally the base and keep them in place. What do you think, Greg? We, you, know, yeah. you, you
0: spend a lot of time writing very thoughtful pieces on strategies and policies and substance, but yet it seems that the Republican strategy is is actually driven by none of those things.
2: Well, in retrospect, um, it now looks like the Brett Kavanaugh hearing was was, was uh, really kind of a, a, a kind of anticipated a lot of what we're seeing right now. A lot of people expected him to be contrite and try to soothe uh, the, the American people into um, accepting that he admitted error in his youth, or maybe he didn't remember what he had done, and he came out and put on this weepy, raging, Trumpist display that of course the audience of one loves, and then once the audience of one loved it, the base loved it, and then he got into the Supreme Court. Um and that was real a real insight on his part that he he, he, he uh marshalled there. I do want to try to inject a note of optimism here though. Um I, I feel <laughs> lush <luck. laughs> Well, here it goes. You've You're come ready. to the
1: wrong podcast. <laughs> right. Well, that's a good
2: point. Yeah. But I'm going to try it and end Um
1: So I, I think we, we have to
2: be cautious about saying things like they're winning, uh, you know, disinformation is working, lies are working, um, their base isn't moving, the base is in lockstep behind them, because it, I think it's more fluid than that, honestly the Democrats won a, an eight to nine point popular vote win 2018. And, and that came amid a lot of punditry, which essentially said the same sort of stuff, right? Oh, well, Trump has just mesmerized the whole country with his diabolically ingenious attacks on migrants, right? That's going to work. Sending in the troops is going to work, right? We kept saying that over and over the lies are working, but they didn't work, right? They lost the biggest loss since Watergate and, and I think we have to remember that Trump is historically unpopular, right? And, and he, I think he's at least a 50% chance for re-election, right? But that's not very high, right? And the chances are very strong that he'll lose the popular vote, and if he wins, it'll only be through an electoral college uh, hat trick again. Um, that raises a whole bunch of other terribly alarming scenarios. I hate to think what will happen is, uh, he's impeached, and then there's a completely sham trial in the Senate that the whole world knows is complete nonsense and rigged. And then he loses the popular vote by 4 million and squeaks out an electoral college win. Uh, that, to me, is a terribly alarming scenario. But but I just want to say that I think we don't know uh, whether this is all working. And and in some, in some sense, right, one can sort of see their strategy as, as one born out of uh, a bit of desperation, right? He's mm. historically unpopular. He's getting destroyed by these revelations, although it's not moving the Republicans, it's true. But they don't have a choice, right? They can't break with him for the very reasons we're talking about, because the base is in lockstep behind him, although I think it's dwindled a little. So, in a way, what we're seeing from them is, we'll is, is, uh, put it this way, in, in retrospect, we may look back on this as them kind of, pulling out one last desperate uh, attempt to uh... figure out what to do about the fact that he he was was essentially sinking and now i don't want to be at all Pollyannish about this like i say i think he is at least at fifty percent for re-election probably a little higher he has the advantage of incumbency a good economy we have a media environment which simply cannot figure out how to, to convey the truth about what's happened to this party and and uh, under this president, um, so they, he has plenty of, of advantages for reelection. But at the same time, this is not where an incumbent president wants to be, and I think we need to keep that in mind. We're, we're you know, we're out there fighting the good fight. Yeah,
0: just this, in- wait, wait a second. I just want to say that's why Greg fits in here. That was his optimistic <laughs> response. <laughs> <laughs> that, okay. you're, you're you're right at home here, Greg. That's you know that passes for optimism around here. Yeah, go. yeah I was just okay. going to
3: throw in uh, in consist that is consistent with what Greg just said. Is uh, recent votes in Virginia to flip the state the state legislature, Kentucky, Louisiana, uh, as great examples yeah. of very important indicators of uh, political wins.
0: Well, there are, you know, but, but I, 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 I think, by the way, sorry, Brother, but, but I think, you know, that, that Greg, the case Greg is making, if you're going to look at this, and I was just in D.C. for the past three days, and, and I must have spoken to 25 people. And if I were to offer up the average likelihood that, that they saw for a Trump re-election, it was probably 65%. In other words, there was a consistent, heavy sense Trump would be re-elected. And part of it was that he has the bully pulpit. He's got the incumbency on his side. He can control the narrative. And part of it was that the Constitution is written in a way to give an advantage to people who draw from the red states, which are less populated. They have disproportionate power. And there was uh, this University of Texas study that showed that in order for Democrat to avoid that, they have to win by 4% or more. In other words, under 4%, there is still a possibility um, in, in some cases greater than others, where they will lose, they could win 2% or 3% of the vote and still, and, I mean, majority and still lose. Um, and the economy looks like it's going to be pretty decent. Trump's actually had a little bit of success with USMCA and China this week, a little bit, a little bit of success. And if the economy is in pretty good shape and he's got these advantages, and yesterday the the Senate of the United States once again refused to pass a bill to provide election security, so we know the Russians are going to be in there. People are going to be meddling, and we know that in a bunch of states, um, suppression of votes, and 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 other Republican strategies like that will work. That that Trump's got a leg up. I mean, he may not be doing so well in some national polls right now, but those are pretty pretty um, meaningless. Anyway, Rose, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just meant to sort of support this argument that. You know, if you were looking at this right now, Trump's about to become the third person ever to be impeached as president of the United States. And at that moment, he will still be the favorite, in in many eyes, to be reelected, something that no person who has been impeached um, has ever done.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, no, I, I have a few stray thoughts from the, the last few comments that are not entirely related to one another. You know one, one is that I, I think it is is right that in many ways, what we're seeing right now, both both with Trump himself and with the GOP more broadly, is is sort of the 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 last uh, gasp of, um, you know, sort of traditional um, white male dominance of uh, American politics that though i think is not necessarily a reason that we should think oh good you know it's it's they're doing this because they're they're feeling so threatened um you know the the metaphor of the you know wounded wounded and dying animals are at their most dangerous um because i think that the the damage that can be done is is enormous um i I also think, and this is a hard one i, I you know i I think we've had a lot of debate um on the left of center side of things about the degree to which um the degree to which it's it's fair or right to sort of write off so many of trump's supporters and my my instinct you know again sort of going back to studying the Rwandan genocide or the Cambodian genocide or Bosnia and Serbia or, or you name it. um, The average Trump supporter is no better or worse than the average uh, Democrat. You know, the average, Um, I'm not saying that there are not people who are morally repulsive individuals, but you know, most human beings of whichever political persuasion um, are susceptible to Numerous social influences that they are not even aware they are responding to, and and that that goes for all of us, frankly, or, or certainly goes for almost all of us, I'd say. President and Company accepted naturally, um, and you know, and and I do worry a little bit that the constant, you know, rejoinder from depressed Democrats and 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 also from many depressed Never Trumpers. Um of well, you know the GOP is basically dooming itself. It's demographically doomed. you know it can it can lash out and cause cause huge problems right now, but demographically um it's it's doomed um is only likely to make that feeling of desperation worse, that sense of threat, that sense of existential threat of they really are coming for us. We really do have to back Donald Trump even if we don't like him and find him repulsive in all kinds of ways. we have to back him because we feel we have no alternative and and I think that you know, the more on either side, the more people start feeling like the political process is is stacked against me. Uh, and I think, I think that Democrats feel that very strongly, but I also think that many Trump supporters feel that strongly. That's precisely what motivates people to turn to, you know, extra legal forms of activity, to turn to uh, what we should politely call extra moral forms of activity, such as just lying about stuff. Um, so I, I think we're going to see that more and more. And I'm, I'm Sort of ambivalent about what we should do about that, but anyway, two two other just quick stray thoughts before I before I forget them. I I, I do want to agree with something Ryan said that that the sort of cultural reverberations of these uh, visible high profile explosions of of white male rage um, uh, are likely to continue in all kinds of complicated ways below the radar of of. You know what gets on the front pages of, of the uh, uh, of the Post or the Times, you know, and and I've written about this in the past. You know, even just of the reverberations for kids, two reverber- teenage girls, and seeing what in some ways seems like even in very sort of progressive environments a resurgence of sort of unapologetic uh, forms of male aggression, um, which I think it is related. You know, I think it is related to both a sense of threat. Um, which, which also has to do with, with probably some excesses on the far left side rhetorically of sort of leaving, you know, leaving even white males, you know, growing up today, if you're a white boy, uh, in a progressive environment, you may very well feel like, gosh, all my life I've been told that it's people who look like me who are the source of everything evil in the world. Um, and You know, that may not leave you feeling contrite. That may leave you feeling like, well, screw them all. Um, And that's a hard one, too. But I think it it is we are we are seeing that sense of both threat and responding to this model of aggression, male aggression, um, is is coming out all sorts of funny ways that probably wouldn't have been predictable. Um, and then I had a final point, but I can't remember what it is, so I'll stop
0: there. Well, we'll give you another chance to come back to it. Ryan, how do you feel about this strategy, which I know you were kind of inclined to, of narrower impeachment, mm-hmm. a couple of articles? Um, how's it
3: going? How's the, is that a good, good strategy? <laughs> it's <feeling> great. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, I guess a couple of thoughts I have are, now that we have more information, in a sense... Um, I'm not sure what else Nancy Pelosi could have done. If you take it as a static variable that uh, there's a part of the Democratic caucus that could not go along with something broader. Um, And would she tolerate bringing articles of impeachment to the floor that don't pass? Um, And we're also, and we're right now on the precipice of some reporting suggesting that, you know, there might be higher numbers than otherwise one might think of um, Democrats uh, voting against the articles of impeachment. Um, and I do think that a large part of this is in the game of uh, legitimacy and not in the formality of, oh, but they got passed. <laughs> Just like I don't think in the Senate, it's, oh, do we reach the supermajority number to actually get a conviction and removal? It's more about is there a majority of the Senate, including some Republicans, so it's a bipartisan vote that says this president uh, should be convicted for impeachable conduct? And I think that would be devastating to him. And so, I, I, so so, winding it back, if there were more articles of impeachment, I'm just not sure it would go very well.
0: Um, well, that's not the only other option, of course, um, because it was a narrow impeachment and it was a swift impeachment. And another possibility would be letting, letting investigations go on and on and and getting a little more information and waiting until you hear from certain witnesses and pursuing testimony more aggressively and letting the Giuliani thing play out a little bit further and bringing the Mueller report and the obstruction from the Mueller report in as more than just a footnote, but as a, as a case to be made to demonstrate. I, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm just providing some counter counterpoint there. And then as soon as you're done, Greg, you pick up and you offer your view on what Nancy Pelosi
3: could have done. Yeah, and I'll just... So I think there's a different question, which is the pace of the Ukraine articles of impeachment. And I am reconsidering how I've thought about that. So I have thought um, of the upsides of having it now because the country's focused on it, and if you wait too long, then that's going to dissipate. And how can you possibly then vote articles of impeachment when it's at 40% or... 39% of the public supporting in some future mid 2020 scenario. But on the other hand, I do think uh, that there are some significant upsides uh, to pausing and waiting. Uh, at, 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 like just one piece of it that seems increasingly likely that Giuliani's going to be indicted. And I think that might be something that would shift public attention, uh, public opinion um, on the matter if he's indicted for conduct that closely relates. To the Ukraine allegations, so I so I, I have a different feel for the uh, pace of it, but I don't have as much of a different feel for the not, narrowness. Not, not of to it.
0: mention Parnas getting a million bucks from somebody in Russia to you know to pay him, and you know how how it all ties back to Russia, right? I mean, you know, oh, yes, nice, right. Yep. So so Greg, um, and I I think uh, from exchanges with you and reading what you've written, you've been an advocate for a somewhat broader approach to this. What, how do you think the Pelosi strategy is working so far? By the way, I know that it's kind of against the rules to, to say anything ill about Speaker Pelosi, but, but you know, you can, we can all offer this up as constructive criticism.
2: Absolutely. Uh, I, I, yes, I, I, my personal preference would be, and substantive preference would be, for this to be uh, uh, dragged out longer, uh, maybe into the new year, I, I don't understand the argument of some that it should be carried out all the way through, you know, the summer and even into the fall. I think that's crazy. I think there's a highly, uh, there's a very high chance that if they did that, you'd lose independence, that who would see it as political? Um, to me, the, the optimum would be something that tries to get more testimony from some of the key players who probably have direct knowledge of Trump's um open an explicit declaration that he, he wanted to ex, use the military aid to extort Ukraine. So, for instance, Nick Mulvaney or um, John Bolton and so forth. So I, I'd like to, for them to try to do that. And I I would prefer an article for obstruction of justice and bringing in the Mueller stuff, uh, mainly because without that, it's kind of seeding the field to what we talked about earlier, where William Barr comes out and he starts saying, you know the the Russian interference effort never happened. the entire um uh investigation was corrupt and illegitimate an article for obstruction of justice would count would be a way of countering that by in effect saying we're impeaching the president for what you're doing william Barr, right which is to try and cover this stuff up and and you know here's our argument um but that—all that, that said—that's my preference. It seems to me that there's actually a reasonable chance that if it were to drag on too much longer, like even into the new year, maybe a couple months, you might lose more House Democrats. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that's what's going on here—that Pelosi is kind of pulling the trigger pretty quick and and with the narrower articles because she knows that she can't hang on to people too long. You know, i I wish that weren't the case, but I think as as one of you just said. This is this is the, kind of the reality of the situation here. There's sort of a tendency in our liberal Twitter bubble to treat this as only Pelosi, right? There's this kind of perpetual raging at Pelosi for Kate, for doing things that uh, we consider weak or or um, insufficient. But she's got a big messy caucus to manage. I mean, that's that's just reality, right? These are people in places that are plus five, plus six Republican districts, right? Districts that went for Trump, districts where the Democrats essentially went in there and said, I'm not going to be part of that circus. I'm going to just, I'm going to solve problems. And they're probably getting killed at home, I would think. Now, I know no one wants to talk about that in our world, but it's important, right? She's got to deal with that. She can't just not listen to those people. They do make up the majority.
3: I completely agree. <laughs> and, and and those people might feel like they can tell their constituents in November 2020 impeachment was in a year ago, it was t- 2019. Since then, I've been working for you. Since then, I've been t- trying to solve right, problems. Since right. then, we've been passing legislation. That was a year ago. That was 2019. That's old. But if it goes into 2020, it's a more difficult story to tell. Okay.
0: I, I think that's a sound, practical argument, and I know that Pelosi is very acutely aware of that and sees her primary job as maintaining a majority in the House. Um, because that's a firewall against a lot of things, um, particularly when the odds that Trump might win or the Senate may remain in Republican hands are fairly high. So that is a a fairly uh, compelling argument, I suppose, in in, in a practical sense. Rosa, among the other things that have happened, of course, this week, we had an IG report um, regarding uh, the uh, um, investigations into Trump, which... um, uh, said that the investigations were predicated reasonably and that there was no uh, uh, political bias in launching into these investigations. Noted some flaws in our uh, FISA process and particularly the process that led to the uh, Carter Page FISA warrant or warrants. But um, but you had simultaneously with this, you know, moments after the um, uh, uh, IG report was issued, you had the. Attorney General saying, I don't believe it. I have a different point of view on this thing. And then moments after that, you had a man who is supposed to be conducting an investigation, Durham, uh, say, well, we disagree with that in the midst of his investigation, which is uh, contrary to protocol. And then the president said the report actually said the opposite of what the report said. And nobody seemed to object to that. But, you know, if you start taking these things um, together... Uh, it looks like impeachment may or may not pass in the House. It won't go nowhere in the Senate. The president will um, get off uh, on that. Uh, if, if, if reports are submitted that are uh, damning to the president, both the, 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 the Mueller report was damning to the president, or that do not support his theories, um, such as the IG report, they're blown up by the attorney general and sort of pushed to the side, um, and uh, and and so you know you do end up closer and closer to this idea of uh, of of unitary executive that the that Attorney General Barr has been pushing of of a president beyond the law, uh, and we haven't even gotten into the court cases which uh, move slowly through the courts, uh, and which by the way I think are one of the reasons why a swift impeachment has some problems because. You don't wait for the courts to do anything if they're going to do anything, and you know it. It, it just strikes me that you know, a year ago when we or you know, um, after say the the the, the Putin Trump meeting um, uh, a year and a half ago, you uh, you know people would start to say, well, gee, that maybe maybe the president's a. A traitor. Maybe maybe he's you know committed treason, which he 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 hasn't. We we know the legal definition of that, but but he was traitorous. Uh, but maybe it's the wrong T word because it seems to me that we are right now inches away from tyranny, from a president who is above the law, who can act with impunity um, uh, in ways that are in his own private interests. Uh, and not the national interest in the ways that are in the interests of our enemies, and and not average Americans, um, and that seems strangely a graver threat than the one that we were talking about before. What do you think?
1: Oh, I think that's I think that's right. I mean, um, if we want to paint some other scary scenarios, you know, the, the variant of of one that Greg painted uh, a little while ago um, is. Trump wins uh, in 2020. Um, he, he wins in a way that is, you know, we will regard as highly dissatisfying and discredited, um, you know, probably losing the popular vote by even more than in the 2016 election, uh, squeaking by in the Electoral College, but against a backdrop of credible allegations of external foreign adversary, Manipulation and interference, um, voter suppression—you name it—as well as against the backdrop of the sort of structural democratic deficits uh, uh, contained in our own constitution, um, and that we have saddled ourselves with through um, several, you know, decades of of uh, Supreme Court decisions, legislation, et cetera, um, and that we will then get a situation where we have a Trump second term in which he feels um, extremely empowered. Um, you know, totally vindicated um, and totally convinced that those who are out to get him uh, were, you know, desperately trying to get him, which, which, which is accurate, um, uh, although he will believe that they stooped to a level that they weren't stooping to, um, that he will feel empowered to use the, you know, to use the tools of the federal government in a much more direct way than he has so far to pursue his personal interests both his financial interests and his personal political and possibly get ready for it dynastic interests um you know that that so far we haven't one thing we have not yet seen that that you certainly see in places like putin's russia but we have not yet seen here you know we haven't seen every single democratic member of congress getting uh their last 15 years of taxes audited by the irs you know we haven't seen uh uh Furious FBI investigations ordered uh, into, you know, every political adversary of Donald Trump. I think it is entirely possible that in a second Trump term, term with a, uh, an empowered Trump, that we could begin to see him using those tools in a much more direct way uh, to harass uh, and persecute and and silence anyone who he views as a political adversary, which is a, a very large number of people. Um, and the bulwarks against that, such as they are, you know, are dropping away by by the minute. You know, uh, imagine that Christopher Wray resigns or is fired, uh, as as he almost certainly will, one of those two things, um, fairly soon. He's then replaced by a Trump lackey. Um, you know, imagine that Trump succeeds in doing that in, in at all of the agencies uh, and pushes that down into the bureaucracy, multiple levels. You know, you end up the 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 sort of slender reed upon which we have you know rested many of our hopes the sort of professional civil service and so on I think that starts collapsing at a certain point in terms of a depoliticized uh, bulwark against Trump uh, and we start seeing sort of overt political persecution using the the levers of government I, I also think I mean oh I, and I remembered the thing I was going to say earlier just to throw in one more one more wild card element um, I also think that um, you know not only will we see in that scenario uh, and a continued increase in you know hate crimes from the far right, but we will also see violence from left wing extremists, um, some of them who will, you know, become motivated to commit violence all by their their little selves. Um, but some of it, I, I think I think, you know, absolutely the the russians and i'm sure multiple other nefarious outside actors are trying to fund and encourage far left extremism as well as far right extremism because if the goal is you know confusion to our enemies that's an awfully good way to do it and i think that as we start seeing more and more you know antifa clashes with the proud boys or whatever variation of this we get in 2021 or 2022 that will then become uh, an excuse for further crackdowns on political dissent and on the political left. and i mean I, I think that there's a there's a potential very scary spiral towards tyranny uh that happens very, very quickly
0: um there you go. That's the rosa we know and love. Um, uh, right. I'm,
1: and, so, and I tried to do it right at the end, so so people could leave feeling good.
0: Yeah, so we'll, we'll, let's give uh, a Greg and then Ryan a chance to uh, you know uh, offer a cherry on top of that pile of whatever you determined that was. Um, and I and I don't mean that in the sense that it wasn't true, because I think that you know it, it is. And and I have to say, I don't think people. I I think one of the big takeaways from the British election result, if it holds up. Is going to be a renewed awareness that Trump can win, um, and and I think that's a I think that's a big deal. I think there's a lot of people who have taken that seriously. And I remember when the Brexit vote happened the first time, and I thought, holy crap, you know that that you know could that happen here? And it did, and they were very very similar. Not to mention their their roots in in Russian intrigue and 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 strategy. But anyway, Greg, you want to respond to Rosa, or that, or anything?
2: Uh, well, I, I was actually in England over the summer, and and um, and and I have to say, I my and this is thoroughly unscientific because I spent a lot of time with family and stuff. But um, my sense, my very my very unscientific sense, was that there was less of a robust kind of civil society response to what was happening there than we're seeing here, and so I, I just want to. I want to start with a note of optimism, and, and then add that cherry of pessimism <laughs> on top of that pile. You of are stuff persistent, of- Greg,
1: and I and I applaud <laughs> you for it.
2: <laughs> well, uh, but I'm going to end up capitulating to the pessimism. Um, <laughs> so I just want to remind everyone what just happened. Right, uh, Democrats got elected in Kentucky and in um, and in Louisiana, governor, um, and the Louisiana one was a sizable victory. And and those are deep red states, and, and the way they won was by kind of reconstituting what we saw in 2018, this coalition of, of young people, uh, college-educated whites, particularly women, suburbanites, uh, minorities, in, in numbers that just kind of swamped Trump country, even though in both those cases we saw a turnout jacked up in rural and ex-urban uh, white Trump America. Um, these... There is an anti Trump majority in this country and it's rejecting a lot of this stuff. Now I'd like the numbers to be a little higher on impeachment, but let's face it, impeachment is, is is a tall it's a, it's a big step and so a lot of people are understandably queasy about it, but there there's clearly a, a solid anti Trump majority in this country which understands how corrupt he is and how criminal he is and understands that he's degrading the country and, and, and essentially destroying it in all sorts of ways. Now, will it overcome the electoral college edge? I don't know, but it is there. And and again, I think Trump has a better than 50% chance of getting reelected, but he might lose. You know, um, it's possible. Um, And I think Democrats are approaching it very differently this time than they did last time. I, I spent some time talking to the chair, the Democratic Party chair of Wisconsin, which is really ground zero for the place where that kind of uh, endlessly deep pool of blue-collar whites in uh, rural and exurban parts of the country um, exist and where the election very well may be decided. And they are right now knocking on every door in, in Milwaukee that they can find to try and organize um, for the eventuality that they are not going to be able to predict how many people, how deep that pool is in Trump country for Trump. So they are being very hard headed and realistic about this right now. Um, so I think I think there's at least a chance that Trump doesn't get reelected. There's a chance. Now one note of pessimism to add though, uh, the picture that Rosa painted is pretty horrifying and I'd like to make it even more horrifying if I could.
0: Thank you. A normal
2: <laughs> president, right? I don't know if I'll be able to, but I'll try. A normal president obviously would take a result like that in which foreign interference, voter suppression, an electoral college win in the face of a four to five million popular vote loss and so forth would take that and say, well, I better reassure the country that I'm still everybody's president, right? But this guy will take from an outcome like that. He'll, he'll, not only be emboldened by it, but he will relish the fact that he won that way because this is what we're dealing with, right? It's just, there's this fundamentally kind of, there's a, there's a uh, part of the project of destroying liberal democracy is winning with a minority and saying, screw you, you have no way to deal, you have no way to counter that. So he'll just essentially take that, the, fat, the very facts that he won through all sorts of illicit means to be even more emboldening, and I think that that's a really terrible thing to uh, contemplate.
0: Grim. Ryan, last <laughs> word.
3: Um, I guess just two uh, decision points. Want to talk country. about that asteroid that's heading towards <laughs> Earth? <laughs> um, I guess just... Uh, yeah. <laughs> just two uh, decision points for the country that I think, in terms of this, is a, you know, we're trying to project out. Um, one is um, maybe once impeachment is behind us, that more of the electorate can focus on the 2020 election, that there's no easy solution. Uh, He's not going to be marched out by um, Bob Mueller in an orange jumpsuit, and he's not going to be removed uh, through the Congress through an impeachment process. And it is about focusing on the mobilization, um, as uh, Greg just identified in Wisconsin. So I think that's one, in some ways, a positive thing. Um, And then the second is a negative, um, pessimistic piece, which is... And if he loses, I think we still as a country are not beyond... Be, this is not behind us. And uh, what uh, he has... Not cre- at all. Yeah, and he's created this these platforms of disinformation, the way in which Fox News operates. He very well might do what he was trying to do in 2016, which is if he loses, he calls the election rigged, and then he sets up an alternative uh, media platform to promulgate that stuff and has elevated voices like uh, Don Jr. So I think... What we have right now is going to be with us, and we still have to... So we have to think about two potential outcomes in 2020, and both of them uh, have uh, discernible threats.
0: Well, I think one of the things that strikes me listening to you guys talk, um, uh, and you're all as thoughtful as you are depressing, is that, you know, we look, we watch the TV, and we say, well, you know, here's an impeachment hearing. What is the procedure what you know what are they arguing about who are the people and and if we have a little bit more perspective we might say what are the politics of this or what are the legal implications of this but there are bigger issues underlying it all and if you were to take a step back and listen to this conversation one of the ones that you might be struck by is the fact that the united states is undergoing a demographic transition uh... uh, that is going to take decades but that is already underway, and that this will be the first election in which there is a cadre of, of Americans um, where formerly minority members are the majority. Uh, today in schools, this is the first class in schools, five-year-olds and six-year-olds, where that is the case. And by 2043, according to the United States Bureau of the Census, the majority of Americans will come from groups that we once called minority groups, uh, and that white males um, will not be in the position of political power that they have been for the past two and a half centuries of American history. Um, and in, by the way, this is a global phenomenon as well, and this was what drives ethno-nationalism in, 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 in Europe as well, with the rise of the the influence of, of Asia and South Asia and, and Africa and and people of color worldwide. But here in the United States, what you're seeing is a deep-seated effort to forestall this in any way that's possible, to say democracy worked when we were in charge of democracy, but we're not going to be in charge of democracy in a couple of decades. What do we do? How do we put up roadblocks? How do we gerrymander? How do we rig the laws? How do we rig the judiciary? How do we rig campaign finance? How do we cling to our power as long as we can? And that's... that's that's a bigger thing than this impeachment cycle. It's not a bigger thing than the death of democracy, and I think we need to take that seriously. Um, but the death of democracy, Trump tyranny, would hinge on the desire of this group that once held power to find a way to continue to hold it, even if it meant undermining or negating the principles on which the country was founded. And that is is, is what should be, I think, more deeply terrifying. And I think that's one of the things that I get from the comments of each of you, uh, for which I thank you, Rosa, and I thank you, Greg, and I thank you, Ryan, and I thank all of you for listening and encourage you to come back to next week's episodes of Deep State Radio uh, and our other podcasts. And if you want more on them, go to the DSrnetwork.com and uh, sign up. Become a member Uh, register, get regular updates on what we're doing. And because it's the Christmas season, and and I know this has been pretty gloomy, but it's the Christmas season, and what we do every year in the Christmas season is that all of the people who sign up for memberships in December, we take 10% of that and we give it to a charity. And the charity we're going to give it to is uh, the program at CARE that provides um, scholarships for young girls to attend uh, secondary school. Uh, $143 pays for a a year of secondary school for a girl, and nothing can do more to help people uh, economically in the world than providing those scholarships. And so if you go and become a member now, we'll uh, direct some of that uh, to that charity, and we think that's a good thing. And if you don't want to become a member, then give some money to them anyway because it's a good thing to do this holiday season. Thank you all for listening, and we'll uh, join you again next week at Deep State Radio.